Welcome to the Musical Communication Podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Ploger, and during these podcasts, I'm looking forward to being able to explore all aspects of what it is to be musical, whether that is how we can be more musical as musicians or how we can understand why we love music and why we think it's musical or why it isn't. So we'll be exploring everything from how to perform music, how to listen to music, as well as aspects of music perception perception and cognition. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of the Musical Communication Podcast. My name is Karen and I am your producer and I'm sitting here with your brilliant host, Marianne. (laughs) (laughs) And we are excited to bring you this part two um, of the episode where we're talking about her method and now we're going to bring in a new spicy element with the musical communication piece. Um, As we all experienced, Marianne blew our minds last time and we just want to dig a little bit deeper as to how how her method and the musical communication piece uh, go hand in hand. So take it away, Marianne. All right. Thanks, Karen. Yes, musical communication, so important. I think that communication relies on our ability to have shared experiences. So Mm. it's kind of dangerous sometimes when we're in this world of some modern music where we're into self-expression totally love self-expression. I think it's so important, as I've been mentioning, improvisation, being able to express ourselves in our own unique way is very important. But I think there's a danger with this idea that I can just write whatever and it's up to the audience to get it. Because I think ultimately music is something that does communicate. Mm-hmm. That even a rhythm, if I go ta-da-da-da, Da, 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 da. I'm, who doesn't get what that meant? That is completely different in what it's expressing. So I believe it's our shared experiences that are so magical and miraculous that we do share experiences and understand them. So my husband and I have created this craft of musical communication and uh, you can see this on my website and it's been published in a book and we've traveled around the world really uh, to do these little workshops dealing with how do we make music communicate better with normal audiences so in these workshops what we would attempt to do was not always easy is to get people who were just normal audience members. We ended up getting a lot of conservatory type folks in there. It's like, (laughs) no, we want just regular people too. Uh, But we would actually have the uh, the audience participating in what they perceived from a performance. So we were very fortunate to have marvelous musicians. We always have. They're just fantastic musicians. But sadly, what my husband and I perceive is that sometimes the music isn't really communicating to the audience. And we would know this because we would have asked a group to perform something that they wanted to perform and they would do a wonderful job by all accounts. Intonation was fantastic. Ensemble was marvelous. And the, of course, the music making was very good in many ways. But then we would ask the audience what they perceived And it'd be so interesting because initially what would happen is the audience would, when we would ask, so what what was the feeling that you got from the music? 
and very often the audience would just go, well, it, it was it was very nice. It was very, it oh was my very gosh. good. It was, <laughs> and we said, Uh-oh. okay, what did you, uh, did you think it was happy or sad? And there'd be this long kind of pause. And I was like, well, I guess it was happy. I, or it was whatever, but you know, very few words came out of their mouths. And then what we would do is talk to the musicians and we develop these techniques that you can add to performances that you hear all the time in popular musicians. And I think that's the way Bach would have played and Mozart too, that there was this ability to communicate ideas by using certain techniques. So we would teach the various techniques and then we would ask the audience to respond to the performance after some techniques were added. And what was wonderful is that it did happen that more affect was communicated. It was easier for the audience, oh, now I get what's happening. So yeah. as an example, there was a marvelous Baroque ensemble that performed, and this was in Budapest fantastic group of Baroque musicians and they were doing a Handel aria, so soprano aria. Yeah. And with this marvelous orchestra and the harpsichord and all of it, it was fantastic. And they performed the piece, of course, as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking, all right, uh, I can hear it's very well done, but you know, I didn't feel like it was communicating very strongly. But then what Keith and I did was we said, okay, now stop the performance, but let's ask the audience what they got from it. And it was that same kind of thing. It was nice. It was, it was nice. And, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then we asked the vocalist to do a translation of the German text. And oddly enough, they had never talked about it in the rehearsals. They oh. never discussed the text. Oh my. And of course, if you know anything about Baroque music, there's a tremendous emphasis on affect. It's just like a musical theater. I mean, you, you know what the words mean and you're acting the words. So the, this wonderful vocalist did know the German. And we said, okay, would you tell us what the text is? And of course the audience is going, really? It's supposed to be, you know, her love is, is like the wind blowing through the trees and, uh, you know, this was very beautiful. So anyway, uh, the audience is, you can just kind of look at them like, oh, okay, it's in German. Then we, the, we then asked if the singer would just speak the words in German and as if she's expressing that and telling a story, even though it's in German and not everyone knew German, yeah. still just do it very expressively. And she did that. And then we had her do that as she was singing with the orchestra. So then the orchestra comes in, and again, the orchestra's perfectly together. Everything is just fantastic. You know, it's all just marvelous. And, you know, the audience was, said, okay, it was, it was better. And then I, I came in and said, you know, it's very interesting. Could, could we try something? You're going to hate this in the orchestra. Uh, but could you guys not try to play together, but make each one of your lines have the expression that would express this, this text? And you do what you want. Don't try to be together. Yeah. So they played, and it was just amazing. 
they were not together, but they were together. And so the, and then the audience applauded, you know, raucously afterward. And then I asked the violinist, you know, I said, so what did you feel about it, seeing that she was con <laughs> consternated, to say yeah. the least? <laughs> she said, well, I hated it. And, uh, and I said, and why did you hate it? She said, we were not together. We were not together. And so then Keith came in and he said, you know, but is the wind together? <laughs> <laughs> as wow. it's moving through the trees so that the effect was much more of the of, of what the words were saying but we could you can see that it's this permission that we have to give to experiment or try things instead of the strictures of having to be absolutely together uh, it yeah. was kind of wonderful because then after this whole event, um, the the concert mistress felt the same way. She was she was not convinced, but most of the other players were really interested, and yeah. especially in the fact that the audience was participating in the communication. That mm. is, people were actually asking the audience. And that, in fact, they did perceive, and this is what Keith and I will find over and over again, is when we send a message in music, the audience gets it. And certainly we get this from the television programs like The Voice and in other sort of fantastic programs that are out there now that allow the audience to discern or to determine the winners. Yeah. And how they get it. Oh my. Okay. My mind is blown. And <laughs> I just I have like a million questions. But the first one that comes to mind is why don't we put value on the opinion of the audience? Is it that we're just quite elitist about it? Is it that we don't care about the audience? Like what's the deal? I think there is some of that, that the audience can't know what we know. They're not smart enough to know. And therefore we are going to be the ones that are telling them what's good and what's not. And if they don't come to the concerts, it's because they're stupid mm. or they just don't get it. Instead of that, no, you and I have talked about this before. I, it's like a really good restaurant, a really good <laughs> restaurant. People come to the restaurant. Yeah. And um, this is a really important thing in music too, is that people will come if it's tasty. Yeah. So food that is not tasty, I don't care how elite it is, uh, you're not going to get people to come and eat your food. So I think that this has been because of the idea of talent and absolute pitch, a bit because of the desire to avoid, rightly. The Philistines, as Robert Schumann would say in the 19th century, <laughs> taking over, that is the bunch of people who don't know what they're talking about, controlling our art, and indeed, that can be a mess if you have just junk food all over the place. You know, if, if everything that we have is hot wings, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is not going to be desirable. Yeah. But on the other hand, there's a balance. So I do think that there can be an elitist, but also how do you, excepting through applause. So yeah. the way that it is communicated in the modern era that you like something, is applause and an ovation. Yeah. But most of us know when we go to a classical music concert, it's rare that you don't get an ovation. Yeah. 
Why? Because everyone wants to get up and get out of there to get to the parking lot to get on. You know? <laughs> Sorry, it's terrible. But, but I, love that. I think there are genuine ovations, and that's fabulous. But it's still not really getting at necessarily how much it's communicating. And then we've relied on critics yeah. to be determining what's going on. We have that in movies, too. I mean, my generation, you know, Rogers and Ebert, you know, with the music critics who can really dictate to a very real extent the success or failure of a movie. But let's face it, it's box office. Mm. And very often the reviewers we know can be incorrect in assessing what will be the great movies, mm. much to the chagrin of some of the critics. But in music, I think it's still that way, that very much we rely on a critic to tell us what we should like. Yeah, that's dangerous. Okay. Um, and then as far as like connecting with the audience, like you know, in, in music school, like all you really hear about is, is taking the sound behind the audience. Like there's really never communication or, or even thought about the audience. It's just, what are you programming? Why are you programming it? Go learn it, go do what what can we do based on what you're describing? Keith and I both feel that the aim of great music is to move people to tears of joy and enlightenment. It's to transport people to a different place in their brain so that they're not just sitting there daydreaming about what dinner. they have to do their dinner and getting out <laughs> yeah. of the parking lot. <laughs> that, that they're so involved, their senses are so engaged that they forget. They forget that they're even there. And this puts them in a different place and it compels them to develop, I believe, compassion. They go yeah. to different states of being. And to me, that is the role of music, is it takes you into another state. And I lived it as a child. I remember... I would listen to the 1812 Overture of Tchaikovsky and it would transport me and I would feel courageous and yeah. valiant and powerful and excited and hopeful and all of those things that I didn't really feel necessarily when I was a little girl. So I think that that is what our goal needs to be, is to go there so deeply that people are really moved. I know in my generation when I was a little girl it was not uncommon for people to weep during concerts but it almost never happens I'm afraid enough these days yeah that's right and and how as performers can we kind of start disrupting that like what might that look like I think we have to start doing what great actors do and that is that they have to look at the motivation and this is what great conductors do and what great performers do is what is the music trying to express? And then we have to try to touch it. Yeah. We have to get there. And uh, so, you know, this is one of the things I think we often don't do enough. Yeah. But Mahler, Gustav Mahler, would write these long descriptions of what you're supposed to be feeling. Yeah. But the orchestra members have to feel it in order to get that across. And that, that doesn't mean they have to be all subsumed in it like a great right, actor right. or, or cannot be. But I believe it's very similar to great acting, frankly, or great cooking. Yeah. You know. Is it then an ignorance thing? Like, are we just not, are we so rushed that we're not taking the time to embody 
what we're doing or is it, you know, just a disconnect? Are we not showing up? Like, like, what do you think like my generation's doing? I think that it's a complex of things. I think that it is a loss of faith in our ability to move others with music. Mm. It's um, to a certain extent, a loss of trust that if you play something that people are going to get it without being educated or browbeaten that they're going to get it by its sheer beauty Mm. and it's also our own vulnerability we have to be able to feel those things deeply and then we have to understand how that's communicated again a great actor knows how to do that yeah and again i'm not I believe we should say actor for whether it's male, female, or whatever. But so I think it's it, that actors understand how it is that they communicate affect. And in music, we have to have faith that we can communicate that. So Keith and I created these techniques so we can start to disrupt, as you were kind of intimating, <laughs> disrupt the the way that we do things. So you don't have to have both pitches playing at exactly the same time all the time. Like with that ensemble we were talking about, you can actually have everyone in the first violin section playing slightly off, depending on the affect. That isn't always right. Sometimes you want a crisp, clean affect. But if you want some, you want to create an effect, you have to be willing to, to try different things instead of it always being something engineered. And I think it's probably been, many people think, it's the recording industry and classical music that caused and radio broadcasting that caused the need for everything to be very crisp. So Toscanini was one of the first to just make everything very rigorous because it wasn't like noise if it wasn't. And um, it didn't communicate well in a recording. Interesting. So, but I'm not sure that's true. My favorite recordings are those early recordings from, you know, before 1960. Um, I love even the live performances of Furt Wengler and, and the others and other artists who even made de Pachmann who would make errors in live performances but it was so moving nobody cared right so I think we have to make sure we have our heart and not just our head in the game yeah it's so interesting like as we kind of head in, in a direction of trying to achieve perfection we're losing sight of the divinity of that process yes yes the irony yeah it is it is (laughs) it is but it's thinking that music is as you and i have talked about i really do think it needs to be both delicious and nutritious and music that's just nutritious it's just like food that's just nutritious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if it's only delicious but not nutritious, that's not very good for you, not good for the soul. So it's finding that balance. And I think great music of any culture balances those two things. It's delicious <laughs> to the senses. It's engaging to the whole mind. Yeah. At the same time, it's nourishing your soul. When you come away, you feel better. You feel higher. Your consciousness has been raised. 
that's my own feeling. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I, you know, looking at the conservatories in the United States and, you know, just the, the perception of what we called emerging artists, like when, when is there the time to do this kind of work or is it, this is the work? <laughs> I think this is the work if we're going to keep going, if we're going to keep trying to engage the audience, you're going to have to offer something better. Yeah. And I think everyone's trying very hard and doing a wonderful job. I mean, that's the thing with these fabulous musicians. When we were working with them, say, in Budapest, it was the opportunity to just show an alternative way and so that it's more creative. And whenever it's more creative, it's got more life. Mm. Whenever it has more life, it has more energy. Whenever it has more energy, there's more hope and there's zeal and interest. So I think that that is, it's not going to be that we have to work harder. We just want to be more engaged in what we're doing and understand better what we're communicating and putting more personal effort, putting more of our souls into it mm -hmm. and not just taking home a paycheck. And uh, yeah, oh, I love this. Back to the, the cultivating of the, of the consciousness, like... How can both of these worlds collide? You know, your your method with just the simplicity of the ingredients and this, I mean, it's not complicated, but this soul-consuming venture of communicating. Like, like where, where do we start with this information now? I'm reminded, Karen, of something I learned from Sadhguru, who was such a wonderful teacher in our age. But Sadhguru talks about the fact that in the Hindu faith, there are four aspects of mind. And I think what we're really talking about is using all these aspects of mind. So he's very strong about saying we have to avoid over-cultivation of the intellect in the modern era. And I believe that's what we're doing too much in our academic courses and in music. It's a little bit too much of the, of the intellect. It's one quarter of mind. It is important in terms of understanding cause and effect, understanding history, you know, how things are operating, very important. But as much there is identity, so there is, that's another aspect of mind, is how we identify with things. So how do I identify with a piece of classical music if I'm not a classical musician? The way we identify it is through its human, humanity, its humanness, its ability to put you in a state of being that is familiar in some way. Mm. So identity is very important. I identify with the country music, or I identify with this, or I identify with that. That's an aspect of mind. But of course, we want to have a broad, as broad an identity as possible. Then Sadhguru would say another is memory. And memory is not just remembering facts and information. <laughs> That's intellect. But it's part of that. But memory is, is uh, our genetic memory. What, what makes us the same as the Neanderthals? What makes us the same as a dolphin? Uh, it's genetic memory. We all came from <laughs> the same stuff. As Sagru would say, you're wearing your great-grandfather's nose. That's a mm -hmm. form of memory. And I believe that in music, there is this deep memory. And I don't care how modern we are. We share <laughs> with ancestors probably from millennia back, you know, from the Neolithic bone flute that they discovered that's a pentatonic scale. 
that's deep memory and we cannot ignore it by just saying we want to create something new well we've got that aspect of mind and finding it finally i think it's called chita which is the final part which is the most mysterious and that is what's higher than normal awareness beyond normal awareness how do we just know things when we shouldn't know them yeah how do we understand things which we really shouldn't understand so i believe that ultimately it's just tuning in to more than just the intellect and tuning into more than just the identity more into memory than just memory and more than just the airy fairy potentially yeah uh, it's all aspects and so it's a balance of those elements and that we have to be engaging all of them and not just one or two of them yeah yeah and is it hard no because i think it's just the most natural thing at every moment all four are being engaged according to Sadhguru. i think he's of course i'm sure he's right so it's just a matter of tuning in yeah yeah so it sounds like we're just in our way mm-hmm. a lot <laughs> <laughs> the human experience <laughs> yeah for sure yeah. um and last thing before we wrap up like what do you think was the biggest takeaway in that, you know, Baroque ensembles experience of, you know, being this world-class group and, and, and playing at what they had considered, you know, this very high level of, of their creation of art to then understand that the audience was not getting that. Like, like what do you think that, that was like? And, and what was maybe your perception of their biggest takeaway from that experience? Well, it would vary uh, according to the individual uh, for sure, as I mentioned, so the double bass player was absolutely sold. I mean, he's one of the big, most famous double bass players of Baroque music in Europe. So I think that what it took away was, first of all, it was communicating. That when they had an intention, it communicated. And that our worrying about being together is less important than spending time to figure out what the heck we're expressing. that probably in the rehearsal time it would have been smarter to have been focusing on what is it we're trying to communicate versus how can we be together and appear like we're really great hot excuse me hot snot um, (laughs) players which clearly they are and there would be no mistaking that right and how much of a chance do they want to take you know this is where i really admire rockers rock and roll musicians and others they're out there they are putting their their whole thing out there. And I think that that's what Paganini did. I think that's what Bach did. I think that's what Mozart did. I know that's what Beethoven did <laughs> from everything we hear. And that's what, what almost every great musician does is they put themselves out there, mm. body and soul. So um, we have to... I think that's what people took away, is that there's a possibility of conveying information and that they should be listening to what the audience is perceiving. There's a receiver out there. Mm, That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. This is amazing, Marianne. Thank you for sharing all of this. Thank you. I'm excited for just continuing to expand upon these topics because I feel like we're just scratching the surface with, with some of these things. And I'm, I'm very grateful for your willingness to, to even do this podcast and just continue to expand our brains and minds on like what is even possible. Because again, sitting on this side of it, 
having had such a privileged education, nowhere on my radar was the audience, was, you know, the way our minds work, the, the full embodiment. Like you were just kind of taught kind of how we do it today, where you just idolize the people that are at the top and you just idolize the, the rock star classical musicians and, but you don't know why. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't even like them. And you also don't know why. You think you're full of shit. And it's like, well, which one is it? So I, I'm just I'm very grateful for you to bring on these spicy topics. Well, and I'm honored to be able to share those. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, my goodness. Well, stay tuned, y'all, for just even more magic in the coming weeks. Um, we're definitely going to be bringing on some more people on the podcast and picking their brains. Um, again, if you think of it, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, that is the, one of the many ways where people can find us and in the primary to help us get this podcast out there to more folks. Um, and feel free to follow Marianne on Facebook at the Ploger Method. It's a community group um, as well as her Instagram, Marianne Ploger. 